Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. So in this episode, we talk about something called second puberty, which is perimenopause. And, you know, Yasmin, I'm coming up on 37 this year. I forgot. I'm like, we're not 25. (laughs) I know. I know. I feel like I'm still in my 20s all the time. But coming up on 37, you know, perimenopause can happen in your early 40s. For some people, it can happen in your late 30s. It can happen in your mid 40s, late 40s. My sister actually is, you know, starting to feel some of the symptoms of perimenopause, her and her best girlfriend. And she calls me with some of these symptoms and they are wild. Really? They're so unusual, but I wanted to kind of list some of them here because I thought they was so interesting. So yesterday she calls me and she says, I'm really itchy. I have itchy ears. And then her friend called her and said, me too. I have itchy ears. And they looked it up and itchy ears is a symptom of perimenopause. Here's some other ones. Tingling in your extremities, dental problems, burning mouth sensation, bloating, which you know is typically common with a lot of hormonal imbalances, thinning hair, unfortunately, brittle nails, irregular heartbeat, which I don't know if you remember, but Oprah talked about this. She talked about how she was getting a lot of heart palpitations and just all these really intense symptoms. And then finally figured out that she was going through perimenopause and then menopause, headaches and migraines, dizzy spells, allergies, body odor, fatigue, depression, anxiety symptoms, panic disorder. I mean, come on, that's a lot. And I remember being pregnant and and feeling a lot of these things too, which can happen when our hormones start to fluctuate. And I just thought, gosh, women, we have to go through so much at different life stages. It's really intense, but it's awesome because it doesn't have to be so bad. And that's kind of what we talk about today in this episode. Yasmin, what do you think of all this? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, man, we don't learn about anything like the power of hormones. And I know we talk about this like every episode, but just how foundational they are to women and how important it is for us to just be in tune with our bodies and be educated very much earlier in our lives. So we're not feeling all those symptoms that you're talking about. So it's just like mind blowing to me that I don't know about this stuff until like maybe the past two and a half years. And it's just a lack of education and women are suffering. It's like, I just want to help every single person because you don't have to go through that. And I know me and you work with a lot of women in perimenopause, obviously via, you know, our seed cycling protocol. And we see shifts and you're just like, man, if people know like lifestyle changes, they could do food changes, supplementation that they can do, you could be a completely different person. So that's what gets me really excited about this week's episode with Dr. Marisa Snyder, because we talk about all of this. She's a functional practitioner, women's hormone expert, and the author of eight books. For the past 12 years, she has lectured at wellness centers, conferences, and corporations on hormone hormone health, essential oils, nutrition, and detoxification. She's been featured on Dr. Oz, Oprah Magazine, Fox News Health, Mind Body Green, and much, much more. She's also the host of the top-rated Essentially You podcast, and you can check out her website at drmarisa.com, which will include all of this in the show notes, for women's hormone tips, including recipes and remedies. Now, let's get into this week's episode. 
Well, Dr. Marisa, I know you've mentioned in the past that there's something called second puberty, which personally, I actually had no idea what the heck that was. I'm like, what? What is this? So can you share with our audience on what second puberty is and when do women go through that? Mm -hmm. It feels a bit jarring. I think that's why people are like, wait, what? Wait, I I get to go through this again? Because when you think about puberty, you know, when we were teenagers, it was just a hot mess. Let's be honest. Like there was so many emotions and hormones and, you know, parents are warned about it. You know, once your daughter turns 12 or 13, like, and, and then the idea of us being grown women, mostly with children often, maybe not, um, in, in, in the height of our careers, we are navigating all the things. We have all the obligations. I mean, I bet everyone listening has a to-do list right next to them. And, you know, this usually happens. I would say our second puberty is perimenopause. It's our, it's our perimenopausal transition where we go from a, you know, a menstrual cycle, our reproductive years where we have our hormones fluctuating throughout our entire menstrual cycle and then we slowly start to see that decline due to an ovulatory cycles. Remember, ovulation is the main event. It's the main event. She's the whole reason, right, why we have a cycle. And as we start to kind of slow down ovulation, those hormones start to shift. They start to decline. The first one up to bat is progesterone. And, you know, that is about anywhere between a seven to 10 year transition, probably a longer puberty second puberty than we what we experienced in our first puberty and i feel like there's more at stake during this time because we spend you know a good 30 to 50 years in perimenopause menopause and postmenopause and so what happens during this transition how we tend to ourselves how we love our bodies how we set the tone for our bodies especially metabolically is really gonna set the tone for what happens in our 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. And that's where I find, I feel like we don't give enough recognition or enough acknowledgement of this transition, being that it, it is such a big kind of turning point for so for all of us. I mean, there's 50 million women in second puberty right now heading to menopause. So when I think puberty, I think like acne, skin breakouts, like hair growth in crazy places. So is, are some of those symptoms happening in the second puberty? You know, it depends. I mean, if, if women are dealing with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, because obviously we have about a little over 5 million women, give or take from what we know, you know, dealing with symptoms of PCOS. And a lot of PCOS is, is very much connected to metabolic issues, particularly insulin resistance. And so as we kind of navigate that, that perimenopausal transition, and we may be struggling with some level of insulin resistance or metabolic issues, we may see some of those symptoms, but more so what we normally see because of that decline in progesterone first and foremost, and that discrepancy between progesterone and estrogen in that luteal phase of our cycle, we'll notice sleep issues. I think 70% of women in perimenopause and menopause are struggling with sleep issues. It's a lot of women. And that's not counting women who are postpartum or who have toddlers, right? You know, that, that's a whole nother 
group of women who are exhausted and sleep deprived. But the other thing that we'll notice with low progesterone levels is a high, you know, kind of more PMS symptoms, especially mood symptoms. They'll feel less resourced, maybe more triggered, more mood swings, maybe feeling depressed before their, their period. And then another thing that you may notice, especially due to a decline in progesterone, is just an overall sense of your body sh shifting and maybe that things are getting harder, you know, especially in that luteal phase. It's kind of how I would describe it. Even in my lived experience, like that final week leading up to my period, things just start to feel a little bit harder. I start to notice that I feel less resourced. Um, I start to notice that my mood is shifting and changing. And although this can be you know, a normal trend and change and shift in our menstrual cycle, it tends to be an even more exacerbated experience when progesterone levels are not as robust as we would want them to be in that part of our cycle. One thing I hear about, especially for this age group, 35 and older, and then specifically through the perimenopause, menopause, and beyond years, is this concept of weight loss resistance. So whatever worked prior to age 35 is not working. There's increase in belly fat. There's like just the body is kind of changing. What are some of the reasons for this weight loss resistance at this age and this increase in belly fat? Absolutely. Such a great question. I love this question because when I, I just surveyed my amazing community, about 50,000 women, and my women are in perimenopause and, and in menopause as well, um, usually landing in the 40s and 50s, like 50 year olds. Um, and the number one, like nothing touches this symptom, this disruptive symptom, and that is stubborn fat, stubborn belly weight, stubborn weight gain. And then next is sleep issues and then brain fog and then low energy. Like, and I have, I think I have now surveyed close to 200,000 women. And those, those are the same exact stats every single time. Now, you know, initially, and I still think because hormones are, they are controlling fat distribution they're controlling so where fat goes um they're controlling um water retention they're controlling where we are dis we're displacing fat in the body and so hormones are very much in charge of this but also you know not just our reproductive hormones but our metabolic hormones and so i think when we think about this type of weight gain for women we're often not thinking about insulin resistance or we're not thinking about deregulated cortisol levels or we're not thinking about potentially low thyroid function and so i do want to bring Bring those up to the forefront because I I feel like if if for many years we were struggling with some low grade insulin resistance but didn't really know it due to you know glucose variability especially because of our cycle you know it's something that we still don't really fully understand um, we do know that we are more insulin sensitive in the follicular phase more insulin resistant in the luteal phase but there's even more to it that we are still discovering. Um, but I think that once we get into our mid to late 30s, that we see an uptick, a greater uptick in insulin resistance. Um, and we start to see, again, a decline in some of our more critical build you up hormones. Um, so that would be testosterone. That would be growth hormone. And then also that, that big reproductive hormone, that low progesterone. I think these are also drivers of more insulin resistance and kind of more metabolic dysfunction. Because by the time we are 45 years old, 88% of women will have at least one biomarker of metabolic dysfunction and are more likely than men to be overweight or obese. Not menopause, not post-menopause. I'm talking about, I'm a year from that. 
I will be 45 in a year. <laughs> you know, that is, that's not, I would say that's kind of the peak, kind of like where the eye of the storm of perimenopause is would be around 45. Um, but we're, that's not even like, we still have some estrogen. We still have testosterone. We still have some progesterone, you know, nowhere near what we had it in our 20s and even in our early 30s. But those hormones are still al alive and well. And yet we're seeing this increased level of metabolic dysfunction. We have to point it to other areas. And I would say that those metabolic hormones are hormones that we need to take a deeper look at, um, especially around our menstrual cycle. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use, we make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. You know, all these stats that you're saying from even like 70% of women dealing with sleep issues. I know so many people who are 30, you know, I'm turning 35 this year. That's kind of my world, like late thirties. And you know, people don't think they're in perimenopause or they don't even realize it could be a hormonal issue. So it's just crazy to me, just how many women are suffering and might not know why. So I'm so excited that we're digging into all this right now. So if someone's listening to you, Marisa, and they're like, this all really resonates. And you're talking about the importance of metabolic health. What are some things that they can do today? They're like, okay, that makes sense. But what do I do? What do I do? you know, in the near future to kind of get a handle on, I guess, my metabolic health, because it's so important. Yeah. And I just want to take it just a step back, you know, and more so the two things I recommend to women, especially in their mid to late twenties, thirties is to have baselines is to know your numbers because so that, you know, not just your metabolic numbers, and I'm going to share kind of the basic labs that I would recommend if that's okay, because I think knowing those baseline numbers, even in our thirties, like I can't tell you when I was in practice and I would have people coming to me, especially women, it was mostly an all woman practice. I, I've been, I've been serving everybody by serving women for a very long time. I love it. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And I was seeing heightened liver enzymes. I was seeing early stages of fatty liver disease in late 20s. And so, and that's such an indicator of insulin resistance and high triglyceride levels. And so I know you're thinking to yourself, like, do I really need labs in my 20s? Like, honestly, or in my 30s? And I'm going to say yes. Like knowing your baseline is so critical because you're going to be able to go back and look and you kind of compare, even if it's only every two years, every three years, you know, I would say that once you're in your 40s, I'd love it every year because things really begin to shift. As our hormones decline in our 40s, we start to see an uptick in those metabolic biomarkers shift and not always in the best direction. So if you guys are okay with it, I'd love to share what my, like my labs are 
to kind of know your numbers, would you be all right with that? So these are, I want to first share blood labs. Um, and cause these are can mostly can get from a primary doctor. Sometimes you're going to have to really fight for them, but if you have are dealing with symptoms, just make sure to highlight those symptoms. If you have history, you know, of of type two diabetes in your family or cardiovascular disease in your family, again, you know, more women are, are struggling with type two diabetes than men. More women are struggling with dementia than men. We die more frequently of cardiovascular disease than men. I mean, so knowing these numbers on the earlier side, I think just really opens the door for taking those lifestyle strategies that I'm going to share with you in just a second. So first you want a full lipid panel. So total cholesterol, um, LDL, HDL, ApoB, triglycerides, um, a complete blood panel. So the CBC, which you'll always get a metabolic panel, human growth hormone, if you can get it. So um, IGF-1, fasting insulin. I mean, beg and plead. (laughs) Um, I would love for you to have a fasting insulin that can really kind of determine insulin resistance and prediabetes like 10 years in advance. So if we can get that lab, amazing. Uric acid, vitamin D3, um, C-reactive protein, hemoglobin A1C, fasting glucose. I would just love to see all of the blood sugar numbers um, in a thyroid panel, like a full thyroid panel, not just TSH. I want T4, free T4, free T3, T3, and an antibody, so a TPO. Um, And then if you can get some bonus ones like B12, folate, those would be great as well. And then I would also recommend a, you know, every couple years, if you can afford it, a Dutch test to look at those, those reproductive hormones, those hormone metabolites, um, and just really just, you know, see what's going on with your hormone profile and, you know, and, and work with a functional doctor about when to test those hormones. I won't spend a lot of time on that right now. Um, but having those labs will just give you so much understanding of what is going on with your body, especially those metabolic labs. Um, and just really kind of showing you where you stand in terms of your metabolic resilience. And then you can be continue to track that over time. Also, Track your cycle. I know you guys always talk about this, but please, it's so critical, especially in your second puberty, especially heading into your second puberty. You're going to want to know what your cycle looks like. You're going to want to know what you, how you feel throughout your cycle. Remember, as women, we are different people every single day of our cycle. There is not a day where our hormones are the same as the day before. And we accommodate to those changes, right? And so knowing your body, knowing, you know, how much resilience you have on day 10, you know, how you're really feeling on day 13, you know, when are you actually ovulating? You know, what does it feel like around day 21? Do you still have some of that, you know, do you still have energy or is it starting to wane? Is your mood starting to shift? Like all of those things really paying attention. I know that I am, I'm speaking to the choir here, But especially when it comes to understanding our energy capacity and our brain function and our metabolic capacity, really understanding our cycle, because one thing that this is kind of just my own personal feeling, but that our metabolism, obviously our hormones, our brain function, our immune system, it is all orchestrating around our menstrual cycle. It's all designed to optimize our menstrual cycle. We are one of the few species ever created where we prime up for pregnancy every month, regardless. 
if we want to get pregnant or not, you know, and the, the amount of energy, the amount of mitochondrial capacity, the amount of the utilization of energy to drive our cycle, particularly ovulation, and then, you know, the release of, of, of our endometrial layer, that level of energy is just so profound. There has to be so many things in place for our cycle. So always when you think about our bodies, literally just designed to run that process to bring life into this world um, and to be the goddesses that we are, the mama goddesses that we are, right? And to go through the triathlon that is pregnancy, you know? And so, you know, I just think about all the things that are, that, that really need to be locked and loaded for us to, to make all of that happen. It's mind blowing. It's a superpower beyond anything of my comprehension, but I just know that so much needs to be working at the exact same time for it to all happen. So that's why I think our metabolic health is so critical is that it is, it is literally the piece that really allows us to you know, run this beautiful menstrual cycle that we get to have every single month for almost 40, 40 years. And yeah, it's just, I have so much reverence for that. It's crazy when you're just talking about this, Marisa, and I, I think Kay and I were just chatting about this on, a, on another meeting we had, but I was on birth control because I had horrible PMS for so much of my life. And then I'm still on it in my twenties. Cause you know, you just get used to it. You're on it now that I'm off of it for the past few years. I'm so connected to my body. Like everything you're saying, just the importance of tracking your cycle, really understanding your energy levels, your mood, how you're feeling. And I look back and it's still like a new process for me because I'm like, I never felt different when I was on birth control. I was just going every day. I had no connection to myself, no emotional awareness. And it's just so fascinating because I'm like, why is this new world so new to me? And still, you know, I'm still learning how to like go in rhythm with my balance as someone who's very like type A, but it just shows that, wow, birth control shut me off for years that that's, I thought that was normal and it's not. So I just want to say that for anyone who's listening, just the importance of understanding your body, the cyclicality of what you're talking about is like so beautiful and important for all of us. It's really a gift and, it, and it's our life force. The, I'm not, you know, arguing that birth control hasn't had a place, you know, and see the uptick in women in law school and in medical school, you know, it really happened because of birth control. I'm a feminist. I'm, I'm, I'm women first, but also I feel like for so many of us, there was this innate power and this innate life force that got shut off and we didn't, without our permission, I don't think we understood the implications. Um, I definitely didn't when I was put on birth control. I only lasted a year and a half. It was so bad for me. You know, I just couldn't, I couldn't tolerate it. And so I was really blessed that I, I ended that journey pretty early, but got on it for the same reasons is symptom reduction without being told, you know, without the implications it was going to have on my body. And luckily my, my, my symptoms were so severe that I was like, oh, mm -mm, this isn't, I'm not, I cannot do this any longer. Like I barely, I, I, you know, with brute strength got through a year and a half of it, but eventually had to stop. And I think so often a lot of our symptoms can be kind of muted for some of us, but ultimately we're turning off this incredible life force that it, that it taps into our innate wisdom. And um, so I'm such an advocate of women doing what's right for their bodies always, but that we, we deserve to be educated as to what happens when we shut off our cycle. 
and in you know not only in terms of infertility potentially down the line but also just about a, a lack of knowledge in knowing our bodies and i think that that's such a gift that a lot of us unfortunately miss out on for decades sometimes um, because we just didn't know yes so true and i think that's what yasmin and i talk about a lot is hey it's okay for people to go on this medication, but they should know all the information first. I saw this really, it was such a cute video the other day where this woman was on an airplane and she was walking up and down the aisles and she said, my husband is making me walk up and down the aisles because I'm on birth control and I need to reduce the risk of blood clots. And so all these people in the comments were like, wait, I'm on birth control. My doctor never told me that I have an increased risk of blood clots. And it got me thinking, you know, because we talk about this stuff so much, gosh, women are probably not told much of anything when they're prescribed this. They're probably just like, here's a document with all this information. You could read it if you want to. If you don't want to read it, that's up to you. But this is just going to help you. And that it was like kind of a mind boggling moment. Yeah, it is so mind boggling. I did a whole episode on every type of contraception, like birth control and the side effects of every type of synthetic medication that was in, whether it was the combination pill or the mini pill, or it was the ring, or it was all the different types of IUDs. And it was even in just the research. I mean, I knew a lot of it, but I just really dove deep and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is intense in terms of the level of side effects that are created by these synthetic hormones. And I think it's just important for us to know that, just to know that there is risk associated with that, whether it's mood swings, your brain changes, you know, or it is, you know, metabolic changes and shifts that happen, you not be having like being in tune with your body, or it is blood clots or potential stroke, you know, all of these types of symptoms um, that, you know, that that do feel the shift in your microbiome, you know, nutrient deficiencies are a massive one um, when it comes to birth control. And so yeah, all those things, you know, and then and and then often no one it tells women, you know, the the length of time it's going to require to get back to a normal cycle. You know, I know sometimes people are like, okay, I can just get off the pill and I can just get pregnant. And often that is just not the case. It takes, I always tell women, at least give yourself 90 days to replete all of that depletion to get your body back on and, and kind of repopulate that microbiome or you're really moving towards conception. You know, I'm curious, and I know I don't want to stay in birth control for too long, because I feel like there's so much to talk about. But I do think we don't know enough about post birth control and how we can nourish ourselves and get those nutrients that we are depleted. Because I know we might be painting a scary picture with birth control, but there's so much you can do afterwards. Like I'm living oh, yeah. proof, I was able to completely change my horrible PMS when I was off. And I genuinely don't have it with seed cycling and just all this other lifestyle shifts. But what would you say are maybe, you know, in those 90 days post birth controls would be maybe some of the nutrients or supplements? Or what do you recommend if a patient comes to you and they're like, Marisa, tell me everything I need to know to get back to my normal self? Absolutely. I think a couple of things. One, yes, like supplementation is going to be critical. I, I want to say that we can just eat our way back to it, but that's not easy. Although I do prefer food as being the way, the pathway to get and facilitate a lot of those critical antioxidants and micronutrients, but often we are depleted of B vitamins, especially folate and B12. So a methylated activated B vitamin, I think is critical. Um, and I think it's critical on birth control too, by the way. And, and all the time you think about particularly our bodies, we really need a robust amount of methylated B vitamins, you know, so a vitamin C, vitamin D, a magnesium, which I know you guys have a new product. Congratulations. Um, so magnesium is a big one. Um, omegas, 
huge as well. Also, I would say vitamin D. I make a full spectrum multivitamin. One of the companies that I really love who I think is doing a great job with this is We Natal. I think that they are doing a pretty pretty comprehensive job if you're looking for like a multi just to kind of, I mean, if if you're looking to conceive. Um, but those would be my, those would be the basics I would recommend in terms of kind of repleting and then really focusing on metabolically healing foods. So more fiber, to feed that microbiome anywhere between 30 to 50 grams of fiber every single day, leaning more towards 50, you know, grams of fiber. You know, the average person gets 11. It's not going to cut it. Number two would be um, fermented foods. So two to three servings of fermented foods. Again, feeding that microbiome is going to be so critical here. Next is antioxidant and micronutrient rich foods. And the magic number, and I don't want to scare anybody, but it's going to be 30 different diverse plant foods every single week. So start with 10 or 15 and then move to 20 and then move to 25 and then try to get to 30. So the more diverse, the better and, and try to eat within season. Like we're, you know, every season, such a beautiful season to get different types of produce, but we just want to create that diversity for your microbiome and really feeding those beautiful gut bugs. Um, omegas, whether it's, I would prefer it to come from fish if you can do it, like salmon and sardines and mackerel. But if, if not, like I was talking about my brain injury, I was on high dose omegas for, you know, for two months. And so I'm all for taking omega multivitamin or omega supplement as well to kind of get those omegas. And then really working on keeping your blood sugar balance is going to be another big part, particularly for women coming out of birth control, because I find that, you know, just blood sugar regulation can also struggle in, in kind of that post birth control syndrome that women experience. And so really being mindful about keeping our blood sugar stable, really allowing our mitochondria to utilize energy just as best as they can, I think is really the name of the game. So those would be my kind of my eating metabolically healthy and then supplementing with with those supplements. Those are such, so yeah, such great tips. I think a lot of people who are going through that can, they're looking for like a practical plan. So it's nice to have it all just laid out there for them. I want to kind of go back to talking about perimenopause because specifically testosterone, you know, we talk so much about progesterone and we talk a lot about estrogen. And a lot of the women that Yasmin and I work with, often we see androgen excess, but we don't talk about the other end of it as much, which is testosterone deficiency in women. Testosterone is so important for women. So what happens to our testosterone as we age? And, you know, what are ideal ranges that we should be looking at? Like, how can we boost our testosterone as we get older? And why is this important? I would love to talk on that. So something really fascinating about testosterone is... Um, testosterone is at peaks at around 25 years old, and then there's a steady decline. Um, we will have 50% less testosterone by the time we're in our late 40s rel rel related to our 20s. And it kind of declines around kind of around the same time. I would say progesterone doesn't really start to decline until our 30s, like mid 30s. We'll start to see that progesterone, that steady progesterone decline. But testosterone happens earlier, but they kind of go in tandem. So one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that testosterone is our most biologically active hormone in the body for women and more so than estrogen. And it is a build you up hormone. So it helps us to feel lean, vital, confident, strong, resilient. Like there's just so much about testosterone that helps. I mean, that's what, when you're thinking about that yummy, sexy, mid follicular phase, just energy and feeling and resilience and wanting to get out and see everybody and you're just dynamic, that's testosterone ladies. And it's estrogen too. I mean, the queen bee, she gets a lot of um, appreciation there as well. I call estrogen our queen 
B. So we don't, we often don't look at that decline and it can be pretty stark for some women. So by the time we're 45 years old, we are, we are depending on the woman relatively deficient in testosterone. And what the unfortunate truth around testosterone is that one, we don't test for it. We just don't think it's important for women in general. And so we're not testing for it. Definitely not your GP or even your OBGYN. You're probably going to have to go to a functional doctor or run it on like a Dutch test to see what's going on with your testosterone levels. And then the second unfortunate truth around testosterone is we don't have an FDA cleared testosterone hormone um, solution for women. So most, you know, functional doctors are, I mean, a lot, there are definitely functional doctors that are prescribing testosterone and they kind of got it down and cause they've been doing it for so long, but the, the average doctor has no idea how to prescribe it or how to dose it properly. And so it is really the wild, wild West when it comes to testosterone. So I want to share what we can do to boost it naturally because that's really the best, that's the best play we have is that we should always be thinking about this build you up hormone, particularly for, you know, good metabolic health, you know, when it's in great ratio, when we have it and it's in that follicular phase, it's amazing. We really want it to carry through into menopause. And so the recommendations around boosting testosterone, you'll find are very uh, around kind of boosting metabolic health in general. So the first thing I'm going to recommend is lift heavy things, lift heavy weights. So resistance training is going to be key here. Probably one of the biggest needle movers for not only maintaining good muscle mass and building muscle mass, which is literally our metabolic sink, you know, when it comes to helping to, to kind of soak up all that glucose, you know, having good lean muscle mass on our body is so imperative for our longevity. And so testosterone not only can be built that way, but also can be maintained that way. So there's so many beautiful benefits to maintaining our skeletal muscle, including keeping a decent amount of testosterone inside of the body. Next is eating metabolically healthy foods. So foods like eggs, green leafy vegetables, legumes, almonds, pumpkin seeds. Those are gonna be some of the best foods for boosting, obviously protein in aiming for 0.75 to one gram of protein per pound of lean body body mass. Those are going to be things that are going to really help to boost, you know, food wise, boosting testosterone. And you'll notice that a lot of those foods are great for all hormones, not just testosterone. So eating metabolically healthy foods is always going to be a win for all of your hormones. Like they don't operate in a silo. You know, you're not just like, this is just testosterone foods versus this is just progesterone foods. Like we really want to eat like the full spectrum of those recommendations I made a minute ago around just eating for our metabolism because that's going to fuel our cellular cellular energy and it's going to fuel our um, our hormone production as well. What not to eat. So actually the list for what not to eat is kind of more important than the list for what to eat. And I know you guys are such a big fan of really adding in and hopefully we just kind of crowd out um, the bad stuff, but testosterone does not like ultra processed foods. And guess what? There's no cell in your body that does. <laughs> So, um, so alcohol, sugar, ultra processed carbs, and then most importantly, takeout. So, you know, again, being, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but a lot of takeout containers, a lot of those plastic containers contain BPA, contain parabens, contain all kinds of nasty, you know, contain PFAS. And so 
testosterone is very, very sensitive to toxins, especially endocrine disruptors. And so when you're ordering takeout twice a week or three times a week, you're, that's just adding to the toxic burden that is lowering your levels of testosterone. And so just be on the lookout, being really mindful about the amount of takeout you're consuming, the amount of plastic coffee cups you're drinking out of, you know, all of that just adds up. And then two other things that I think are really helpful is going to be um, intimacy. So that will build testosterone and then supplementation. So there was a research article that said getting 5,000 IUs of vitamin D3 will increase your testosterone levels by 25%. So vitamin D3, we, we, most of us need it. Most of us are, you know, it's always important to test your levels, but a lot of us are deficient in vitamin D3. And so just making sure that you're, I, I always recommend around 5,000 IUs to really kind of move the needle in terms of vitamin D levels, but so beneficial for our immune system, our metabolic health, our brain health, and our hormones. And then um, also vitamin C, magnesium, um, vitamin A, B vitamins. These are all very critical, not only for testosterone, but also our other hormones as well. And so that would be what I would recommend um, in terms of kind of a daily kind of recommendation of having testosterone on the, on the forefront of your mind and naturally boosting it continually as we age. And that's great for women and for men, for men yeah, who are going both. through andropause or they feel like their T is dropping as they get older, which, you know, we're seeing, I'm sure you're seeing it a lot too, is that younger and younger men are having lower and lower testosterone, which is not normal, not right? Normal. Yeah. So something needs to be done there too. And actually, you know what I love about this conversation? Before we press record today, you said, I'm a hormone girl. I really want my hormones to be there. I love the mid-cycle phase, like day 13, because my, my hormones are optimal. My estrogen is there. My testosterone is there. And I thought that was such a good point. And I want to talk about it because I think a lot of people have a misconception. They feel like hormones mm -hmm. are bad. They're like, oh, my hormones are making me crazy. My hormones are the problem. Well, actually, in our luteal phase, which is like right before our period, when we feel quote unquote crazy is when our hormones are at their lowest point. So can you talk about this a little bit? Because I think there's still a lot of just misinformation about what hormones are and why they're so important. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. They are the most critical chemical messenger inside of the body for mood, for growth, for, for brain function, for energy efficiency, for, you know, just us having this conversation. Thank your hormones. Thank your hormones. Thank you, thyroid. <laughs> thank you, T3. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you, insulin. You know, thank you, testosterone for that energy and that dynamic feeling, you know, when where our hormones are in harmony, which and a lot of times they are. I mean, they are doing their very best mm -hmm. to adjust to the environmental situation. They are literally just responding to you. They, how you are operating in this world and they are they are rallying and shifting and changing to adapt to the lifestyle that we're living that we're creating and i will say that it's not the hormones it's the lifestyle we you know with this fast paced modern you know very very busy you know, filled with so much obligation for women. What a, what a blessed time. I, I stand on the shoulders of my mom and my grandmother who did not have the opportunities that I have. And I know that my mom worked so hard for me to have what I have today. And it's come at a price. You know, I'm a, I'm very much, I'm admittedly, I am a, I am a, um, I'm type A. 
I am a recovering stressaholic um, and I am trying to have it all. I have this beautiful, beautiful boy so beautiful. And I have this beautiful, my beautiful, my mission, my purpose, my everything. I mean, I would, you know, I remember uh, my mother-in-law telling my husband that he didn't, she didn't think I was going to get pregnant or want to have a baby because she, I just felt like my career was too important. And I mean, she just wanted a grandson, you know what I'm saying? She just wanted a grandbaby, not a grand, I just, I happen to have a, a little boy, but, and, you know, she was just like, you know, Marisa really loves her career. Like, is she going to shift towards motherhood? And so, you know, we're juggling so much right now. And that's my hormones are like, okay, what are we doing? Like we're staying up with the toddler and what, when we got interviews tomorrow, okay, let me figure this out, you know? And so, um, your hormones are really, they are going to bat for you. They are your greatest cheerleader. And yes, they're highly sensitive because, you know, as women, we are the creators of this human species. We're creators of life. And that, that, is, that is a big job. It's a big responsibility. And so our hormones are doing their best to navigate our bodies in a life that we're living that is so full and so busy. And, and they're just trying to create equilibrium for us. And so I have so much reverence and gratitude for my body and my hormones. Am, am I loving every single day? No, um, but I do appreciate. And the more that I know about it, I know that I get to work with them to create a body that is vibrant and vital and energized and has longevity. That, that's what I'm looking for. And I, it, it, it gets to be that relationship that I get to honor, just honoring my hormones, knowing where they're at and doing everything I can to tend to them so that they, they are working with me as for as long as possible. Man, I have so many thoughts. That was beautiful, Marisa. Like I have goosebumps and Kay and I are so passionate about this. We actually were just zooming out a little bit and we're talking about like our mission with Bia and everything. And I think what you said in terms of, you know, we're both career oriented too. We're busy women. We want it all. We want the family. We want to be good partners. We want friends. We want to show up, do the interviews, run the business, work out. Like it sounds even overwhelming to say, but it's like, we're so passionate about bringing education and supporting women in this new modern era we're in because it's possible to do everything, but in accordance with our bodies. And like, for me, at least health, you know, I kind of fell into the world of wellness because I wasn't feeling good and I want to show up as my best self every single day. And that's why I'm so passionate. I'm like, we need to get this out there for women and long winded way of saying, I just love everything that you're saying. I think it's so critical. I think we're not educated enough as women to support this new lifestyle that we're in and that it kills me that women aren't sleeping. Women feel, you know, one thing I'd actually love to transition to is, you know, you're also very passionate about supporting women with their energy levels. Like how many women do we know? 30s, 40s, maybe even younger or later they're like I just don't feel like myself I wake up and I'm like exhausted and that like kills me so maybe we can transition a little bit if you're hearing that you know what are some of the things that you kind of help women diagnose if they're just like man my energy levels are tanking I am not feeling like myself absolutely I think energy is the ultimate currency mm. especially for women especially for women moms you know women who are following their passion and their purpose like it, it is the ultimate currency and we know that you know going back to that metabolic piece is that when we when we go under 51% or 50% capacity, mitochondrial capacity, that's when we start to see our metabolic numbers start to shift in, in the wrong direction. And so it really is about our mitochondria. It really is about, and, and where we host the most mitochondria in men and women's bodies is in our ovaries. 
on average 15,000 mitochondria per cell in our ovaries. Um, there's no other, there's no other um, endocrine system, organ system, you know, where we are housing that many mitochondria. And I, I mean, are we surprised? I'm not surprised, you know? And so, cause our brain has about 10, 10,000 mitochondria per cell. So just kind of giving you a little perspective there. And so, yes, what, what we're looking for. So what, what are some signs and symptoms if you are struggling with low energy? Um, you are noticing, you know, cravings in the middle of the afternoon. That was always kind of a telltale sign for me around two or three o'clock, I would start to crash. And um, ultimately it was probably a combination of stress and deregulated blood sugar. And I just didn't know. I didn't realize that my blood sugar, cause I was chasing, I used to tell people I was chasing energy. But I was chasing energy with sugar. It was, I mean, I was causing more disruption to my mitochondria than anything. So looking out for when you're having an energy crash, is it in the afternoon? Is it later in the evening? Are you waking up tired? You know, those are some of the things. Are you noticing that you're just, your brain isn't firing on all cylinders? Um, you're finding yourself, you know, like having these cravings um, or you're just noticing that you're not as well, just kind of not as well resourced. And I think women know what that, that feeling is. They're just kind of noticing like, wow, I'm not able to do the things that I was able to do or it's just, I'm really having to brute through it. You know, the women are still getting it done, but they're getting it done at a cost. Um, and so just really being, I would say, just really being honest with yourself, just really kind of sitting down and saying, you know, from a scale of one to 10, where's my, where's my energy? Where are my energy levels? And then starting to look at what, what's going on in your life. Like, how are you living your day to day? What does your sleep look like? Are you getting plenty of sunlight, especially early morning sunlight? Are you, you know, your circadian rhythms are so critical here too. And if we are just locked up in our home or in our office and we're not getting outside, we're not supercharging our energy, our, our mitochondria. You know, what is our, what's our stress capacity? You know, how much, how much are we dealing in that particular realm? And then how are we feeding our body? How are we nourishing our body? Those are going to be so, so critical in terms of kind of rebuilding your energy. And then you know, getting, you know, really taking a look and an assessment in, you know, how stressful is your life? You know, when I took a deep look, when I was struggling, with chronic fatigue, because I, I actually had chronic fatigue at one point. And, um, you know, I had to really get very clear as to what was what was the driving force of how I was operating in the world. Because I found that although I was drinking all the green smoothies, I was eating really well, I was doing yoga, I was checking boxes, that my operating system was on trauma overdrive, that there was a, a, a lack of worth of, of who I was, I felt like productivity was the only way to demonstrate worth. And so although I had all these habits in place, I kept burning myself back into the ground over and over and over again. And finally, I had to really dive deeper and look and say, why does this keep happening? I am doing all the things I am optimizing all these areas. And yet, I keep finding myself at this low energy kind of place. And ultimately I realized that I was just in an operating system um, that wasn't serving me anymore. And that it was, it was, it had been driven by trauma. Like I, I had been convinced at a very young age that the only way that I was worthy in this world was that I was always constantly doing things for people. I was always saying yes to everything. And I was, I, my, and my plate was constantly flowing over. Like if it, if I wasn't if I didn't have a lot to do, if I wasn't checking off a lot, then 
then I obviously wasn't worthwhile. Like I, I wasn't showing my worth in the world. And so once I started to untether from that, then I began to start to really experience a bigger energy surge. And so sometimes we have to just go a little bit deeper. And for me, that was very much what was happening. And so that's what I would look at as I would look at all of kind of the the, you know, it's our sleep, our nutrition, our, our beautiful self-care habits. And if you still find yourself really low resourced, um, you know, you could go get all the labs done, but then kind of look into those limiting beliefs and, and look into, you know, what is your primary operating system and then see if you can start to shift that. Mm, I can relate to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, do we have another hour? To I talk know about? that's like a whole conversation <laughs> right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, can I talk a lot about this? And at least for my life, like I'm learning how to untether from that operating system. I'm finally aware of it. I'm trying to unpack everything you're saying. Like, why do I keep, I'm do I'm in wellness. I know the right thing to do and I'm doing a lot of the right things, but I still kind of see myself pushing myself a little too much to go down burnout. And you mentioned like how important it is to untether from that. What worked for you? I'm just curious to get to the root cause of fundamentals of that. Yeah. When I will say that is very much a journey. Once I became a mother, a lot of it came back online. I was, I was abused as a child, um, mentally, physically, my whole, my whole childhood. And so so much of me never, I'm, I'm a cycle breaker. And, um, you know, my son, there was nothing I could take from my childhood to my, to motherhood. And so I think becoming a mother, a lot of those activated again. So I'm in the like unlearning it as well, because it's for me to heal and it's for me to cycle break for my son. I don't carry it over. So I didn't, and someone would say, well, that's a lot of responsibility. And it's, you know, it is in a way, but back when, before I was a mom and I found myself just in the rushing woman syndrome busyness because of, you know, not real, I was just running from this trauma, you know, and, and knew that as long as I had success, as long as I had a purpose and a mission, like, you know, I could just keep moving forward for, I was a, you know, like I could just keep running from this, this kind of trauma. And ultimately what I ended up doing, I was tethered to so many things. Like I had said yes to so much. Um, so one of the first things I did was just let go of, of obligations that I never wanted that weren't moving me forward that I just felt I had to say yes to. So that was the first thing I did is I just let go of so much that I did not need to hold on to. Then I, you know, I started doing a lot of mindful practices. So meditation was a big piece. Um, and I still meditate every single night for bed. And I went and started doing a lot of trauma work. I started working with people to start clearing a lot of, of that trauma and these limiting beliefs and stories that I thought were just my story that I didn't know that weren't true. And so I, I started, I really, because of that there was such extensive trauma, I just felt like I needed help um, in kind of untethering it. So I, I worked with like internal family systems to kind of, uh, kind of doing subconscious work and really letting that go. But uh, probably the biggest shift for me was just allowing myself to be more present, really creating more self-care for myself, taking a lot of walking breaks, being out in nature, being um, just, and just being away from work, even, even though it was the mission that I was, I was, cause that was always my excuse was that, but this is my mission. This is my purpose. There can, there can't be anything wrong with that. Right. And, um, but I just, I found that I was burning out and burning out and burning out. And, and, and you could see it on my, my cortisol, you know, panel, you could see it in my progesterone panel, like you could see it like, and so 
It was doing things that were very radical for me, which was really giving myself a break, even when I didn't want it. Yeah. There's really nothing like motherhood to just hold a big old mirror right in front of your face (laughs) and be like, deal with this stuff. Otherwise, it'll affect this beautiful human being that you are raising. I can relate so much to what you just said. And it's funny about the mitochondria piece because we know all the mitochondria comes from the mother. So I joke that my daughter took all of my good mitochondria. (laughs) (laughs) She probably did. (laughs) Where is all my energy? Where did it go? (laughs) Yeah. And and that's a whole nother conversation, you know, even in motherhood of that recovery you know, um, it is, it is, uh, it is, and especially, you know, I, I really want to even have more of a conversation. I had my son at 41 and I breastfed him until three months ago. Honestly, it was because of the brain injury that I stopped because I had to get on such critical supplements and I had to get on progesterone to reduce my inflammation that I had to make that I had to stop breastfeeding my son. But I, I, I wonder, you know, especially women who are having children later and what a blessing. Like what a blessing to get to wait for so many reasons, but the level of depletion that I'm recovering from just from, you know, breastfeeding my, my child till he was two over two and a half years old is really just really fascinating to me of just like, Ooh, that's a lot that a body goes through. That's, that's so much of what mothers are giving to their children. Um, you know, whether, whether you breastfeed or not, like any of that, that it just, it's such a, there's a continuum of just energy that is being even just the, the connection between a mom and a child. There's a, there's such a powerful energetic connection. I still feel like they are still pulling energy from us well after the breastfeeding and then having them forever. forever. <laughs> yes. And in the most beautiful way. Oh, but absolutely. Also, <laughs> yeah, but in, in the most training, like how do we tend training. to ourselves when we, we, when our priority is to tend to our children. And so that's the new, the new level that I get to tap into is how am I tending to myself when my core driver is to always tend to him first. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah absolutely. And to show him that I am, you know, demonstrate to him how mom is taking care of her for everybody and herself. Um, you know, because hopefully that he picks up on, you know, I, I watch my mom, I still to this day, I watch my mom burn herself out, you know, and, and, um, and I feel like so much got carried down for me to heal. Um, and I, and I watch her and it, it breaks my heart. Although I will say she's on a flight to Dublin, Ireland right now to go run a marathon at 63 years wow. old. So there's something to be said, Amazing. but she, all my whole life, she's just, she was exhausted, 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 exhausted. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's, that's, that's motherhood. That's moms is they're just exhausted and they have nothing left and they're in survival mode. And it's just not what I want to demonstrate to my son. 100%. You know, yeah. um, I want to show him how we can nurture and tend and love our bodies and create vitality and energy in our bodies so that he really sees that, that demonstrated. I mean, that's the ultimate legacy. Absolutely. Yeah. And what a beautiful message because so many women are driven by wanting to care for others. And the way that we do this is to take care of ourselves, right? Like we have to take care of ourselves so that we can be here and be vibrant enough to take care of the people around us. So that is just like what we're trying to get across here. And I love just like the reverence you have, the way that you communicate about like the beauty that it is being a woman, because like the fact that we can grow a child 
grow its bones if we make that choice for ourselves is incredible and just everything that we get to experience on a day-to-day basis is just so beautiful and I so appreciate you being here and sharing all of that with us yeah I and I hope I I know I we, we kind of danced around a lot of topics I hope I covered enough metabolic health and enough mitochondrial health that really supports women in that journey and then if they find that they're really struggling to tap deeper in but yeah just be out in sunlight eat nourishing foods love yourself tend to yourself things that that don't come natural to a lot of us, you know, depending on the generation you're coming into. And yeah, that, those are my big, big things. And get that deep, restful sleep. Whew, that is so critical. You know, yeah. if you're only clocking five or six hours a day, you're going to make it up in food. You, you know, if you're only mm-hmm. eating, you're only, you're only sleeping five hours a day, you're going to eat 22% more calories the next day because your body's going to want that energy from somewhere. So sleep is so critical. You're amazing, Marisa. Yeah, so, so amazing. So many, I'm still thinking about so many things. I know we need to do like a part two, but if if anybody wants to um, get in, like, are you, are you seeing people? How can people connect with you? Do you have programs? If they're interested in learning more about you, what should they do? I would say the podcast, I, you know, is focused so much on women's health, particularly in the perimenopause um, transition and around metabolic health. Like I, I think where we really, we really miss the boat on, and women is connecting the dots between our metabolic health and our hormone health and how that those, those ebb and flow together. Um, and the more that we can tap into both, I, I think it just really opens the door for us feeling amazing for so many years to come. Um, so that is something I really focus on on the show. Um, so it's energized with Dr. Marisa. And I went with that title because I, I wanted to embody what so many of us want to feel me. I want to feel energized. Like that is something I really, I really care for. And then Instagram is at Dr. Marisa. And then I do have programs. I have a a metabolism and hormone reset program that is just amazing. That really does connect the dots and really is designed to create longevity and, and ultimately reverse a little bit of our biological age. I'm very fascinated and interested in reversing women's biological age, because even if we can reverse our biological age by one year, we would, we just shove back like healthcare costs and time spent in the healthcare system, which I know none of us want to be doing in our, in our, you know, our final two to three decades in life. So that's a big part of what I love educating about as well is like, how do we create that longevity? Because if menopause is where our wisdom really activates, like I want women to be so fully alive in their bodies that they get to activate that wisdom for the world. Oh, love that. Well, we are going to include all that information in the show notes. And again, super appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.